I loved it. Thank you, Brother Jeffrey. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3 again and read the entire doxology. And blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, and whom he also trusted, that ye, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after ye believed, ye were sealed that with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray and, and praise at the same time. I pray that you'll be with us here this morning as we um, enter into this time of studying your word, Lord. I pray that you'll give me the words to speak, Lord, and that you'll hide me behind the cross. And yet I praise you for this grand opportunity to even magnify your word. Lord, I pray that you'll Help us to not take this moment for granted, Lord, that you'll clear our minds and that we'll set it all aside for this moment in time, Lord, that we may dive a little deeper into this offering of praise that the Apostle Paul gives here under the direction of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 1. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. Be with those who are teaching next door and those who are downstairs. Be with those who are absent today, Lord. I pray that you'll forgive us of all our sins and shortcomings. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I want to focus on verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, when we closed out last week, we basically stayed focused on verse number four in the morning service and in the evening service. And verse four in the evening service left us, I would say, troubled and maybe even perplexed at modern-day Christianity. 
Verse 4 said, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Well, the matter that left us troubled in the evening wasn't so much that God chose us, but it is that God chose us, as he says in the end of verse 4, to be what? To be holy and without blame before him in love. There it is. Chosen to be holy. Chosen to be without blame. This is what we were left with last week. And this is basically a text that is at war with modern day Christianity. How can this be? Because we see a new uprising in modern day Christianity where they have anchored themselves into Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13 that they are now found in Christ and in Christ they have found this new liberty and they believe that this new liberty has not only given them a license to sin but a license to live in sin and a license to be comfortable in sin because they have found this identity they profess in Christ. Now, how is that troubling us today? Because he says here that God has chosen us to live holy lives. God has chosen us to live blameless lives before him in love. When we see someone who professes that they are living in Christ, it is contradictory to the word of God that they will live an unholy and sinful life. Now, lest we argue with the word of God and say that it is a misspeaking here and that all that God has chosen is not called to live holy without blame, we must recognize that in our own lives, that if the child of God is a true child of God and he is living unholy with blame, that he should be afflicted by his sin. But the true child of God has a desire to be holy and without blame before God. We see this in verse 4. This is where we left off and now verse 5 today again is before us all connected to verse 3. Everything goes back to verse 3. This is the compiling, and I hope to even show us this morning that Paul is continuing to build here. He's not just offering up one simple statement. He is continuing to build this doxology of praise to God for what he has done in his life. And not only in his life, but in all of our lives. So, verse 5 is connected to Paul in verse 3 when he said, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So Paul in this continual Praise be to God. He says, praise be to God. Why? Because of verse 5. Having predestined us, having, this is God. God predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. This is a whole new level of praise than what verse 4 had offered up unto us. 
Now, in our minds, we sometimes like to look at this text and say, isn't this predestinated unto the adoption? Isn't this the same as what he was trying to offer up to us in verse 4 when he says, we have been chosen in him before the foundations of the world? Indeed, it is very different. Yes, they surround our, so to say, our state in being in salvation, but verse 5 takes us to a higher understanding, a deeper understanding into the manifold wisdom of God. Many, many uh, commentators and many people who offer up studies on Ephesians chapter uh, 1 in this, in this fifth verse say that this is really like the mountaintop experience. This is the peak of the doctrine of salvation. This is the pinnacle of it all. This is the highlight of our Christian life. Since, as he says in verse 4, we are chosen to be holy without blame, to have our relationship restored, to, to be chosen under the salvation, we peer off of this mountaintop of, of great depths in verse 4 and wonder in the amazement of God's so great love that God would even set forth such of a plan. And Paul, it's like in verse 5, it says, but before you start applauding, hold on, there's more. Not only has God done this, not only is a relationship restored with fallen humanity, but it's more than we are on talking terms with God again. And that's, if that's where you think salvation has left you, you've missed out on the highlight. Salvation is more than being on talking terms with God. Salvation is more than finding yourself at peace with God. And this is more than just no longer being at enmity with God. Paul says in verse 5, we have been predestinated unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. This is not Paul trying to explain the doctrine of salvation in a different way. He is indeed trying to tell us more. We understand that predestination means to determine before God, but predestination is more the, the plan itself, so to say. Verse 4, we could say, gives us the inner workings of how verse 5 is carried out. So we can look at predestination as the overarching plan, where in verse 4, choosing refers to the, how the plan is carried out. But again, here in verse 5, tells us that God has in heaven, before the foundations of the world, chosen before the foundations of the world, who would stand before him one day as children. Now, if we do have stopped at verse 4, we would have continued to praise, but Paul says there's more to this. Let me try to explain this in a, a deeper way to provide ourselves with a, a, maybe a deeper understanding without trying to take away from this text. Put it in your mind that prior to salvation, we'll say that heaven was in a deep argument with Bob. And as they're in this deep argument that it was brought to my attention, 
that these two men were in this great argument. They were enemies. They were at war with each other. They couldn't stand each other. They wouldn't talk peaceable about one another. So I was pushed to be, to be the one who comes in between them and tries to bring peace. Not only did it work, I brought peace between them. Now they are the best of friends. Not only are they the best of friends, they said they loved each other. Not only do they say they love each other now, but they have promised that they will never speak about the ill things that they said and did to each other in all of times past. It will all be washed away. Those who meet Bob and Evan today will never know that they were once enemies with each other. This is wonderful. This is great. And this is exactly what salvation does. It brings peace between us and God. But, but there's so much more here. Even though Bob and Evan could be at peace, though that Bob and Evan may not love each other, they are not family. You see, there's the difference. That's the difference between verse 4 and 5. We have found peace with God through Christ. But this did not make us a part of the family. That happened because of having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. Paul says we have been adopted into the family. That we now have with God the same standing in Christ. He is now our father. This is the depths of this praise. Paul is saying, I thank God for this adoption in which through Jesus Christ, God has brought me through Christ to himself. I have found peace with the one who I've not only been enemies with, but not only have I found peace with him, not only am I now in a loving relationship with him, he has now adopted me as his own. This is predestination unto the adoption of children. Predestination unto the adoption of children is the plan that God will make fallen humanity his family. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of the children, and as always, there is absolutely no flaw, but there is a continual building here. He is compiling uh, on top of each other that of, of certainty that the choosing must come before the adoption, and the choosing of his son or his daughter must come before the understanding that we are entering into his family. That is God's family. That is God's plan that we would ultimately be a part of his family. Now he says, predestinated unto the adoption of children. Now we ought to understand this when we take this um, in the context of which it is written. This is not what they would say. This word, this term adoption is not a Jewish term. It's not even used among Jews. It is a very Gentile term. And the reason that this is important is, is because this is a Roman word. 
this word made sense to Gentiles. And there's kind of a twofold way of looking at this and maybe even a threefold way. And all are fitting here about this word adoption. Romans would view this word adoption. It was said that under Roman law, adoption was a common means of appointing an heir. It legally transferred a person from the natural father's authority to the authority of the adoptive father. Another way, also in Roman law, adoption secured for the child a right to the name and the property by the person of whom he was adopted. Also, to the one who was adopting the child, it gave this new father the right to behave to this child as if he were his very own father. Now, that is the deep theological truth of adoption. Even in the biblical standpoint, not only is this adoption given us a new father, but it's given our father the right to behave over us as if he is our father, since he is legally our father. Also, it gives us the right <laughs> to have our name in him and be heir of his possessions that he has for us in glory. This heir that we have, these, these mansions in glory, these these. Uh, crowns and glory, all of these things that we will attain in glory is because we are heirs through adoption. Now, we could say whereby nature, men were children of wrath, were lost and ruined by the family of Adam, whereby no reason in themselves, but entirely in the pure grace of God, men and women are translated out of the family of Adam and into the family of God. So one has rights as a child to the father, and the other has the father's rights to the child. Adoption gives both sides new legal rights. This word adoption here is a Legal term that deals with the standing of someone. I had a co-worker that I worked with several years ago that had adopted two children from overseas. It was clear to see that they were adopted from overseas. But he would come back and tell us later that he had adopted these two children. The reason he gave us this statement was to emphasize that they may not look like me, but they are mine. That you may look on them from the outside and be confused, but don't be confused. Everything I have goes to them. They have my last name, though from the outside they look very different. Adoption is not salvation. Salvation is through regeneration. Adoption is the process where we look like our family Adam. But yet, 
Though we may look like Adam, though I may still have the scars on my body from the time while I served under the curse, under my, uh, under Adam, under the Adamic fall, I still look like that person. But God has intervened through adoption. And though I may still look like a part of Adam's race, I have a new last name, I have a new inheritance, and I have a new father in Christ. It was through Christ in which God would move to bring fallen humanity unto himself. So, adoption has to do with our privileges being brought into the family of God. Yes, one precedes the other, but one is about being made alive in Christ and the other is about receiving an inheritance, a help, and a hope for all eternity. That only comes from being a part of the family of God. Now, let's kind of unfold this a different way. That we have been adopted as God's children through and in Christ. I believe you could set this another way. Going back to verse 4, understanding before the foundations of the world, he said, um, before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. I believe this. That this adoption process, I guess you could say that, even though we did not have this new nature before the foundation of the world, the adoption process was already in pursuit. There was already a judge appointed to the case. There was already a defense attorney there. There was already one to cover the guilt and to blame. There was already an active agent sent to pull us from the orphanage of mankind who had already been separated from God the Father. And all of this was in play long before we ever knew. Yet, it says, no one had yet signed the dotted line. You see, the adoption was underway, that we should be predestinated unto the adoption of children. By whom? Who will arrive and sign this page? Well, the text tells us, does it not? Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. By what? By Jesus Christ. It was Christ who signed the line. It was Christ who confirmed the adoption. It was Christ who made the adoption available. It was through Christ we were brought to God the Father. Now, there's kind of something that we can see here. There's two matters in this sentence that we have been predestinated unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. This phrase right here, by Jesus Christ to himself. This sentence alone or these words alone are inclusive, yet they are also exclusive. They are inclusive in this matter. How does one get to God? How is one made right with God? How is one found just before God? How is one restored in relationship with God the Father? Remember, this is nothing more than a praise. Paul is saying, Blessed be God the Father. Why? Because of verse 5, I praise him because I have been able to see this adoption happen because of what Christ did. Christ alone is inclusive because all who are in Christ have been successfully 
adopted and restored in relationship back to the Father. It was done by Jesus Christ himself. Praise God because he has sent his son Christ so that through Christ he could bring me to him. This is what our text says. Through Christ we are at peace with God. Through Christ we are at fellowship with God. Through Christ we can worship God. Now this is how we have been included. But what of what this exclusion here when he says to us, the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Paul praised God for the only way, not one of the many ways. Paul praised God for what he had in Christ. While those who have faith shout for joy, there are those who are on the outside. Well, there are those who believe they're on the inside whom this verse puts on the outside. You see, you cannot say that you are successfully bound to heaven. There are many religions who profess today that they are on their way to heaven. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5 says you can be included and be on your way to heaven, but it must be found where? In Christ. You can only be made right with God through Christ. What does this mean for us today? It means that the Dalai Lama cannot restore you to God. It means that Muhammad cannot restore you to God. It means that Buddha cannot restore you to God. There was no other person save the God-man, Jesus Christ, who walked the face of the earth, who had the ability to sign the adoption papers, save Christ alone. That's what Ephesians 1.5 says. It also goes even further to say that not only can no person do it, but being a Baptist cannot restore you in relationship with God. Catholicism can't restore you into being in relationship with God. Being a Wesleyan can't restore you. Being a Presbyterian can't restore you. No religion, no matter what church you go to, can restore you into relationship with God. That's not how adoption works. Adoption comes by one, Christ alone. Without Christ, without faith in Christ, there is no hope for us to be restored with the Father. You see, it includes, but it also excludes. It includes that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and it excludes that whosoever calls on anyone else outside of the Lord will not be saved will not be restored, will not be made right with the Father. Man, mankind cannot bring you to God. Humanity cannot bring you to God. Religion cannot bring you to God. Christ is the means, and he was the means to bring us unto him. No one else was able to complete this adoption. Through him, we are now the sons of God. This is what this really means. This is almost interchanging. I am not going to go too far down this aisle because Brother Evan gave me this title this morning and he's preaching the verse that I want to quote, but I'm going to let him have it. But there is a verse in 1 John chapter 3 that references, it says, it kind of makes sense to us that why John burst in with great excitement. He says, now, brethren, now we are the sons of God. This is something that changed. Now we have a new position. Now we have a new standing. 
How is this new standing? It is through this great doctrine of adoption. We have been adopted through Christ to bring us back to God. Now, this is our condition. I have a heavenly father. Why, one may ask, why did he adopt us? Well, our text tells us here, why did God choose to adopt us? Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Why did it? The good pleasure of his will. What does that mean? It was the good pleasure of his will. That's exactly what it means. Well, what was his will? That through Christ, we would be the sons of God. Why? Because it was for his good pleasure. I, you can't make more of it than that. God is holy. He is just. He is righteous. He is everything that we are not. We cannot assign our attributes to him. He is not like us. But God found pleasure in bringing me not only into salvation. He could have just saved me from my sins so that I would have this opportunity to worship in heaven. But he said it wasn't enough. I don't want to just be restored with you. I want to be your father, and I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. I want us to have the most intimate of relationships. I want you to come to me like you would go to your father. I want you to come to me like you would come to your father for any need, except understand that in me there is no limitations. But recognize this. He said, the only reason that you have this grand opportunity to come to me as your heavenly father is because Christ was obedient unto the death of the cross. This is a glorious doctrine. This is an amazing thing that we have been adopted. Now, to us, we say sometimes, we look at our uh, earthly means our earthly money, and we say, I thought you said we were adopted into the family of God, and according to the book of, uh, well, at the end of Ephesians uh, chapter 3, it says that he has all of the riches and glory, and yet I'm sitting here with struggling in my earthly means, but yet you said I'm in the family, yet you said I'm an heir. Yet you said that I'm the one who's supposed to receive this inheritance. And indeed we have. But our inheritance, we cannot see through the, the fleshly lens. If we try to view the inheritance that we received from God in the earthly lens, what we do is we turn ourselves to the rich man in Luke chapter 16 who thought he was in great sights among men, that he had wealth, that he had health, that he had prosperity, and then he died. And that beggar at his gate, Lazarus, who was poor and undone, the rich man in his death would find out what? That he had no wealth at all. And yet indeed, Lazarus, the beggar in the street, was rich beyond measure. So how? 
because Lazarus had an inheritance that was not of this land. We are indeed rich beyond measure. How was Lazarus so rich? <laughs> I can tell you how Lazarus was so rich. Not only because God saved him, because he had been adopted into the family of God. He was receiving this grand inheritance from God. We say to ourselves, you know, this God that we serve, that we've been adopted into, what of this great nobility? I mean, don't, don't we think we should be crowned on this land? <laughs> that we are truly the sons of God. I mean, shouldn't people recognize us? But what did it say of what they did to our Lord? He, he came unto his own and his own received him not. This royal family that we are in has been mistreated for centuries. The Bible says they were sawn asunder. They were broken. They were tied. They were burned. They were despised. They were rejected. And all of the above. This has been the treatment of the royal family for generations until now. So you say, what of our nobility? What of our nobility if we've been adopted into this family? How can we really say that we are in this situation? We have been adopted and our nobility stands true. That the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 and verses 5 through 11 that he humbled himself beyond all measure. He took upon him the, the, the form of a baby and was obedient unto the death, even the death of the cross. Why? He, the Bible also says in Philippians that he, he became a little lower than what? The angels? Why? So that in his death, he would reach down to fallen humanity. Raise us up. And according to the book of Hebrews, he says, this is the condition that we were in. Christ came to lower than the angels. But because of what Christ has done and because of this adoption, we have this new nobility that the Bible says in Hebrews that we will one day judge the angels. What do you mean of this adoption and this nobility? We have been lifted up out of the miry clay, out of the dunghill. We have been promised and guaranteed a fortune far beyond our measure. And not only a fortune far beyond our measure, when we were created beneath the angels, we have been exalted in Christ due to this new nobility, due to the fact that we are adopted, that we will judge them that we were once under. Because why? Because now, brethren, we are the sons of God. It's deeper than being saved. It's more than that. This verse number five is not so much about being saved. It's about our standing in Christ. We are now the sons of God. What a, what a wonderful opportunity. Don't put off, brothers and sisters, that there's no nobility, no, no nobility in this family. There is much nobility yet to come. Don't put off because we aren't acknowledged by the world for whom we serve. They haven't acknowledged this royal bloodline for centuries. Don't put off 
about your financial standings and about this royal bloodline in which we're involved. The past tells us that there is a payday coming someday. And that's when we get to be with the Lord. If the, if the world wants their riches, let them have them now. Because of certainty, the Bible says, they will fade away. But us, <laughs> we're the sons of God. We have been adopted, and this adoption has come by none other than Jesus Christ. Why? For the pleasure of God's own will. He found pleasure in putting each and every one of us who are saved in this position. It brought him pleasure. Think about that. The God who created all of the universe, all of creation, all of humanity, all of the animals, all of everything, the universe found pleasure not in predestinating a lot of people, but Looking upon each and every one of us, he found pleasure in adopting Daniel Holt into his family so that I could be the son of God and so that he could be my father. That is beyond my understanding, especially knowing the person that I was. And when I try to reason it out, I have to reason it out against one statement. It pleasured him to do such an act. Who is like our God? Who is like him? This will continue on for the next 14 verses that Paul continues to build. Saved, adopted, and even so much more. All in Christ, all because God planned it, all for what? We're going to see next, his glory. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, Lord, we give thanks to you this morning for this text that we have been able to glean from and read from and study from. Lord, we praise you, Lord. You, your word causes us to tremble at the greatness of you, Lord, and that the thought that you had and put into each and every one of us, bringing us to this place of salvation. Lord, what could be said, Lord, besides thank you, thank you, thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy in this great doctrine of adoption which brings us to the understanding of what is yet to come for an inheritance. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.